Welcome to the Gospel of John this morning, John chapter 1. As we begin a few weeks ago, the study of this glorious Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Then I want you to look down to verse 14 to complete the thought there. Verses 6 through 13, he begins to introduce the ministry of John the Baptist, and we're going to look at that in an entire section. But this declaration of Jesus Christ and who he is, The Word, verse 14, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What a portrait of the Savior. Our gracious Heavenly Father, again, we would cry with those of the the Scriptures, Sir, we would see Jesus. Lord, We know that human words and my efforts alone cannot do that. And so we do ask for the Holy Spirit's divine enablement to show us this portrait of Christ, what you've come to do, what you have accomplished, what you're doing, what you will do. Oh, what a glorious Savior is ours. We stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love us sinners condemned unclean. Oh, what grace and truth flow from you. Your words are true. Your words are gracious. Even in condemnation of sin, Lord, you're gracious because you can only do that which is right. We thank you for your long suffering that we heard about in the psalm this morning, that you are yet saving people. You're yet extending the offer of salvation to those who would believe. So we pray the Spirit of God. Oh, Spirit, be welcomed in this place to do your work because you have ordained the preaching of the gospel. We pray that you'd bless it. We thank you in advance for what all you're going to do by the appointment of your word in this meeting today. In Jesus' precious name, amen. There are many verses in the scripture that declare that God created all things. The first statement of the Bible flatly states that fact. Here in John's gospel, this special and direct creation by the earth and all things is stated again, but with added emphasis. Verses 1 and 2 declare that the Word of God, here Jesus Christ, the Son of God, being personified as the Word, is eternal with God the Father. Here in verse 3, we learn all things were made by Him, the Word. And then the Holy Spirit restates it to make it very clear. When there's a restatement in the Scripture, it's always for emphasis. It's always for underlining what has just been said. He states it, and then he restates it with the emphasis in the second part of the verse, and without him was not anything made that was made, period. God made the world with a word, and that word was Jesus Christ. Psalm 33, verse 6 declares, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. John Gill writes, not as, By him, not as a subordinating instrument, but as 
a coordinate agent. God made the world by him. Not as a workman cutting with his axe, but as a body sees with the eye. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whatever they be, thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, for all things were created by him. Over and over again, the scripture emphasizes that God alone is creator. It is he that has made us, not we ourselves. For by him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Literally stick together. What causes you to not to fly off the, the face of the earth? You may say the law of gravity. That gracious law of gravity is God's word holding you on earth and all things sticking together. Aren't you glad they do and they don't just fall apart? We were speaking yesterday. We had some visitors in our home, and they were talking about a, a dish they made. The lady was from New Zealand, and uh, she was explaining a, a, a cake that her mother made. And she said, on that day, when mother made this certain cake, it was basically of egg whites. We had to stay outside all morning long because it took a great while so that the cake would not fall flat. You ladies, have, I'm sure, have had the the dismay of opening the oven and finding that instead of a cake, you have a pancake in there, haven't you? The Lord causes all things to rise and to stay in place and to do just exactly like they're supposed to by the word of his power. In verse 3 in the Greek, it is even more emphatic. It states, without him was not anything made that was made, not even one thing. Nothing, not one thing. Not one amoeba, not one atom, not one cell, not one particle of dirt or dust. Nothing, not even one thing, was made apart from Him. This is the glory and the power and the authority of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The infinite God's first revelation of Himself is by His Word and His creative acts. Creation alone, however, does not tell us all we need to know about God. It certainly does preach a sermon, but... It only goes so far when you look into the starry night or gaze at a, a mountain peak or the vast ocean or look at the caverns on earth or whatever you may be gazing at and, and wondering and all, or looking under a microscope and seeing the life at work or you study anatomy or a, a botany or whatever it may be, you, you say, yes, yes, there is a creator who does all things well. It is an, an undeniable proof of his being in power and our responsibility to Him. But more is needed. How gracious of the Lord, not only to declare that and to show us His works by creation, but He speaks. He gives His Word, and in the fullness of time, His Word, all that was expressed by Him by Moses and the, the prophets, came into being. And He came to this earth and walked among us and talked with us and his words are recorded, and he said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and my Father are one. And praise be the name of the Savior, for had he not come, we could never have conceived of God and his majesty and his glory. We would never have known of his mercy and grace and salvation. He gives us his word, and then the word came and took on a body and lived among us in the person of his Son, Jesus Christ. 
another picture here that John gives us to describe what is taking place here is the, the picture of light. God reveals himself in light. The Genesis record tells us of the, the vast immeasurable darkness that surrounded the void and, and the formless earth initially. And then God spoke and there was light. Light is always associated with God. When you search the scriptures, there's often this eminence of light associated with him. Even in our Lord's transfiguration, the glory of God was was shown there and the light that shone round about him. And the glory of the Lord, even in Gabriel's revelation to Mary, uh, God is always shown in light. It represents his power, his purity, his holiness, his permeating glory. Verse 4 tells us here in John 1, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Life is a key word used throughout the book. John will employ it some 36 times. There are four things necessary for life. Light. Without the sun, everything would die. Just cover something, a plant with a, a something, a, a board or whatever, and underneath it, it will die, won't it? The grass or whatever is there. We must have light. Air is, is important. It's absolutely necessary for life. Water and food. All these elements portray the Lord Jesus Christ. Malachi 4.2 tells us that he is the son of righteousness. John 8, 3 and verse 8 and John 20 and 22, that his spirit is the breath of life. Several times in John, he is called the living water or the water of life. And he is food, the living bread. All these elements are combined into the majesty of Jesus Christ. Jesus declares in John fourteen six what John tells us here in verse 4. He says unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one cometh to the Father but by me. Verse 5 speaks of him being never-ending, but eternal and everlasting And the light shines in darkness. Or literally, the light keeps on shining in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it or understood it. We see in in these opening verses that Jesus is the eternal word. He's always existed there in verses 1 and 2. And that he is the creative word in verse 3. But I want you to look down to verse 14. Where we see that he is the incarnate word. And the word was made flesh and tabernacled, tented, pitched his tent, took on a a body, a tent, a temporary uh, uh, dwelling among us, although his body now is eternal. We'll speak of that later. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Really, the word dwelt is tabernacled. And we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In the scripture reading, we read John's first epistle. And there he says, we testify to you of the word of life which we have seen, which we have handled. I mean, he's giving an eyewitness, up close and personal testimony. I know what I'm talking about. I was there. I saw him. I ate with him. I talked with him. I saw him in his uh, transfiguration, his glory there. Just a preview of what he will be throughout of eternity. John says, I know, I saw. What an eyewitness. What, what a testimony. Theologians use the word incarnate to describe what took place when Jesus came down from heaven and took on a body, when he became born as a baby. He became incarnate. In other words, he 
became flesh in blood. The word carnal meaning flesh. We usually think of it in a very negative way, the basis part of flesh. But it is really the word carnal comes from the word that means flesh. Jesus took on a body. Before this event, when Jesus was born to the Virgin Mary, the, the Godhead, God the, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit uh, was only a spirit. Here, the Bible describes of Jesus taking on a body. Jesus told the woman at the well in chapter 4, we're going to uh, eavesdrop on their interview with her one, in, in a few weeks, where she begins to instruct Jesus about how to worship. Have you ever tried to witness to someone and they try to show you what they know? You know? And uh, she was really pointing out the differences between the Jews' worship and her worship as a Samaritan. The Jews had nothing to do with the Samaritans, and she was quite frankly, surprised that Jesus would talk with her. They had their own temple in Samaria. And uh, so she was saying, you say, the Jews say to worship here, we worship there, and, but you worship God in Jerusalem, but we have our own place. And Jesus tells her there in verse 23, but the hour is coming and already is here, that when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Our text here in verse 14 assures us that, that Jesus wasn't just some power or emanation coming from God, reaching down from God, as the Gnostics taught and others still erroneously teach. He was just not some influence. He wasn't a ghost or a mere presence when he ministered here on earth. He had a literal, physical body. John is very clear and unrelenting about this. John personally knew him, as we've mentioned, and walked with him and interacted with him up close and personal for three years and was absolutely convinced as to who he was and what he did and what his life coming to earth accomplished. The other disciples, John alone, we're told, was not martyred. The rest of his his cohorts so were convinced and so believed in Jesus that they were willing to risk their life for him. In First John, we read there, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, we heard his voice, we have seen with our own eyes, we have looked upon, and the word look means gazing intently, scrutinizing. He's saying we scrutinized him. Now, you know me and many of you have known me for many, many years. And we've walked together and we have served together, and we've cried together. We have gone through some deep waters together. No pastor and his people do not. And many of you know me very well. You know my likes and dislikes and, and my faults. You know, it's hard not to be in one place in public for that long without those things glaringly coming forth. My wife and children would know me on a, a different level, far different level than, than you folks know me. And I would say that uh, they know me in a way that, that uh, maybe I don't even realize myself, you know. Sometimes I'll say something my wife says, oh, I know what you're doing. I'll say, you just think you know. She says, no, I know. I know exactly where, and she usually does. She's, she can figure it out. Some people know us better than, than we know ourselves. But John is saying, we scrutinized him. We looked at him through the microscope of scrutiny. There was a time when though they were called, they had not been genuinely converted. They came to that realization that this was the Messiah, that Jesus Christ was who he says he was. Our eyes gazed upon, scrutinized, our hands have handled 
of the word of life. And there he uses that same terminology that he uses here, the word made flesh. There he calls him the word of life. For the life was manifested, revealed, laid open, made bare to us. And we have seen it. You see how he testifies over and over again, reiterating it. And we bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifested to us. Openly revealed, unmasked, and shown to us. Unveiled. The glory of God unveiled to us. John's emphasis in his gospel is the deity of Jesus Christ. That he was literally God. But he makes it clear that the Son of God did take on a body. It's very clear about that. We handled it. We saw him. We ate with him. And that he came in the flesh and was subject to the, the sinless infirmities of human nature. And be, we must be very careful there, the sinless infirmities. In other words, he got thirsty like we get thirsty. He cried out from the cross, I thirst. We see him weeping at the, the, the grave of a very dear and precious friend. Weeping. The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He was at the, the grave of Lazarus. We see him growing weary, going asleep. We, we see his emotions. We see anger, and yet he did not sin. He, we do not have a, a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He was tempted or tested in all points as we are, yet what? Without sin. John will emphasize again in chapter 20, after Christ dies on the cross, that he rose again and had the same body, though now glorified, bearing the wounds and the marks of his passion, of the, the ill treatment of men, suffering on the cross for our sin. There in John chapter 20, verse 24, remember the interaction with Thomas. The disciple says, this cannot be. It, it, it cannot be him. I will not believe it unless I see in his hands the print of the nails. And put my finger into the print of the nails. What, what boldness of Thomas. I will not believe unless I thrust my hand in his side. Why? Because I saw those things. I know what happened to this one. If this is his body resurrected, he will still have those wounds and I want to see them. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus. The doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, he read, reads thoughts. He wasn't there when Thomas said that. He knows all things. The omniscient son of God. Thomas, come here. What a tender picture. Now, this is a strange interaction here, we must say. But these were, had been together. These, Thomas had been with the Lord these years and he was so gracious. Not only is he showing Thomas something, he's showing the rest of the disciples something, and he's showing something to us today because we're mentioned in this verse too. How gracious, how merciful of Jesus to say, Now, Thomas, come here. And behold my hands. Look at them. Scrutinize my hands. Reach hither thy hand. Thomas, you can touch me. And thrust your hand into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. Oh, what a word this morning. Those who may be quivering in your faith, in these claims that I'm declaring to you today, I would say unto you, be not faithless, but believing. Well, someone might say, I, I don't have Thomas's privilege 
of seeing with my eyes the, the body of Jesus Christ or handling the wounds or putting my hand in his side. That's easy for you to say, be not faithless but believing, as Jesus said to Thomas, but Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. Oh, when you see Jesus Christ as he really is, all you can do is fall before him and worship him. Jesus said unto Thomas, and here's where we come in. Because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. But blessed are they that have not seen and yet believe. There's a blessing for those who, through the testimony of the word of God and through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, who say, yes, Lord, I believe. And as the gospel is preached... And the glories of Christ are proclaimed. As the Holy Spirit knocks upon your heart's door and reveals the, the Lord Jesus Christ to you and reveals to you your standing and your sin, will you say to Him, Yes, Lord, I believe. Would you say unto Him as Thomas said to Him, My Lord and my God. You're not only my Creator, you're my Sovereign. I worship you. I submit to you. Thomas comes to believing faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, blessed are all they that come to me by faith. Yes, the Word became flesh. The eternal Son of God took on a human body and became a human being. Now, I will not stand here today and tell you that that is not a great mystery. It is very difficult to comprehend. In fact, the, the Bible tells us there are a lot of things in that category, aren't there? We've sung about the triune God this morning, yet one. We've sung about creation at the word of the Lord. How was this accomplished? The scripture says the secret things belong to the Lord. There are some secrets that are His and His alone. But the things that He's revealed to us are for us. And we have this revelation here before us in these powerful verses that Jesus Christ is indeed God. God come to earth. Christ, the eternal Son, became flesh by the miracle of a virgin birth. This was a sign that God gave in the Old Testament. Jehovah gave His people through the prophet Isaiah where he says there in chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore, the Lord himself, who else would have given this kind of sign? Only the creator and sustainer of all things could bring something to pass. Isaiah is saying, I'm not giving you this sign. Man is not inventing this. The Lord himself shall give you a sign. Something only God can do. Behold, a virgin shall conceive an absolute impossibility without a miraculous intervention from God on high. But this will be the sign. And don't miss it. This, there'll be many who come and say, I'm the Messiah. Messiah was clearly prophesied in the Old Testament. Many will come, and there were many in Jesus' day who declared to be the Messiah. But this will be the sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. And bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. In Luke's gospel, we have the longest record of that event. But all the mystery of the virgin birth, 
is condensed into one verse. But that's not unusual, is it? The mysteries of God are usually condensed in one verse because if he gave a trillion verses, we still would not understand. The ways of God. Oh, the depth of the riches, both the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Mary was as puzzled or more puzzled than anyone who's ever lived. When an angel from heaven came to her and gave her the news that she would bear in her body the Savior, the Messiah. The angel tells her to fear not. You found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and shalt bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. Jehovah saves. That's why we believe and we're saved by the, on the name of Jesus. Who shall ever shall call upon the name of the Lord? Jehovah saves. There's salvation in his name. He shall be great. He shall be called the Son of the Highest. The Son and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He will meet all the Old Testament prophecies. And all the promises that God has made, the covenants that God has made, will be fulfilled in him. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. And you know what Mary said? Exactly what anybody would say when she heard all of that. I think her mind left off way back, not about David's kingdom and all that. I think her mind was still back there. What? You will be conceived in your womb and bring forth a son. And her question was this. The very sign that Isaiah gave, and Mary validates it. How can these things be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel said unto her, and this is the only explanation the Scripture gives, it declares that Jesus Christ is born without a human father. But here is the only theological, biblical description of it. And where God rests his case, that's where we rest our faith. When God says, I created all things, period, that's where we rest our faith. God, you created us. We will worship you. There's some things that all you can do is when you come against that hard boulder of a verse or teaching. There's a book in my library, The Hard Sayings of Christ. There are many of them. When we come to one of those hard things, one of those thorny, hard things in the Scripture. Do you know what you do with that? Do you throw it away? Do you cast it aside? Do you get angry about it? No, you worship. You bow before the majesty of God. And like Mary, you say, how can these things be? The answer she was given is this. Let me be very careful here. Whatever answers God gives us, we receive with thanksgiving and rest our case there. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. Very, very succinctly does the scripture say. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. There also, therefore that also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Period. That's it. And then he says... 
For with God, nothing shall be impossible. I know this this morning. I may not know a lot of things. I don't have a crystal ball. I don't believe in one. And I'm not a prophet. I can't read the future. But I know this, that there are impossible situations that you brought with you to worship today. You brought your Bible, maybe, and yourself, but you and I, wherever we are, are impossible things, humanly speaking. When Jesus Christ told a rich man that he had to get rid of everything, and uh, he said to his disciples, the young man walked away and said, with great with tears in his eyes, for he had great riches. The Lord was trying to show him that he was, he thought he was perfect. <laughs> the Lord was trying to show him, you're covetous. He'd come and asked about salvation. If you really wanted to go to heaven, was there, and you knew you were about to die today, was there anything you wouldn't give up today? And he said, go sell your possessions. And he, he went away sorrowful because he had great riches. And Jesus said, this is one of those hard things. How hardly shall the rich enter into heaven? And his disciples said, well, how, who then can be saved? You're making it so narrow. Who then can be saved? And there again he says, with God all things are possible. God sent us a letter by Christ. Special delivery. He created all things by the word of his power. He gave us his Old Testament law, which could not save, but could only show us God's perfection and holiness and our great sin and depravity. But he didn't stop there. He, he was very justified in stopping there. I'm God. You're, you're a sinner there. God did not stop there. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners, different ways, spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image, the wax seal, the, the picture there, the express duplicate, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down. On the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus Christ identified with us. He entered into our world, into our sufferings, into our impossible things that we brought with us this morning. God is not just a concept. He's not a philosophy. He's not just an idea. But he's a real person who could be seen, touched, and heard. And with that, we would say that Christianity is not a religion. It is Christ, a person. And he came so that we might know him and be saved. Jesus reveals to us human beings, finite, warped, depraved, messed up, prideful. All that you can say about us. He comes to us and reveals to us the glory of God. There is a glory of God in creation. There's a glory of God in, in life. 
No one has held a baby that you brought into the world without seeing the glory of God. But the greatest glory of all is the glory of God revealed in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He reveals himself to us by who he was, the eternal son, by what he did, creative miracles, and by his words. The Old Testament showed us our sin, but could never solve the problem of our sin, of breaking its power and taking our sin away. But Jesus Christ came to remove the power of sin and to break its chains. And so there we back up just two verses to close here today. Verse 12. But, I love those holy conjunctions in the Bible. Things hang on these conjunctions. And the door of, how, of salvation is hinged on this conjunction here. Make, make no mistake about it. The verse before tells us that he came into his own and his own received him not. Jesus Christ came and presented himself as the Messiah, the Deliverer, the Savior of his people. They said, no, no thank you. We don't, we don't want you. We will not have this man to reign over us. That's not what we were expecting. We wanted something else. We wanted to overthrow Caesar. We want a new world order. We want a new guy in office. What so many people are looking for today. No thank you. Not you. Something else. And they rejected him categorically. And there were those along the way who were saved, but as a nation, as a whole, they said, we want something else. We don't want you. And so God said, okay. But, this is the word to the rest and to all, to as many as received him. To them gave he the power to become the sons of God. Even to as many as believed on his name, which were born not of Blood, you're not born into the kingdom of God by your first birth. Your first birth brought you into this world and validated the fact that we're all sinners, flawed, messed up, in need of a Savior. That will not get you to heaven. Nothing that this flesh can produce or do can gain entrance into heaven. And people just beat their head against the wall with religion and trying to do something. That rich young ruler that I referred to came to Jesus. I've done everything since I was born. I was raised in it. I know it all. I've done it all. Been there, done that. But just in case, is there anything you can tell me to help me out? Because I, I pretty much have done it all. And so Jesus said, I'll, I'll help you out. You see, no one can be saved until they realize they're lost. You can't save a, a drowning person unless they submit to you and help. You know, if they fight with you, they'll. You cannot rescue them. A person in a burning house, if they're not convinced that you're the only way out, that you'll, you'll take them to safety, will not, they'll stay and burn. It's not that people are not dying in, or in horrible situations. They will not accept the bad news that they are lost. When the Titanic was sinking, the majority of the people, especially the, the, on the upper class, they were dancing and having the dinner of their lifetime and would refuse to believe it all the while the ship was taking on water. The gospel is announced that you're a sinner and that you're going to die one day. And Jesus Christ is the only Savior and people reject that alarming message and the provision of salvation. And all the while they're aging closer and closer to eternity. And death. 
which were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh. Mankind cannot will himself to be saved. It is a supernatural work of the Lord. We're going to see when, when Jesus interviews Nicodemus, he tells him, you're dead. This will take a birth, a new, totally new birth, nor the will of man, but of God. But let me give you the good news. So much of that is theological. It is true. A lot of it is unveiled to you after you come to know the Lord as Savior. Do you know all your responsibility is today? So many people get caught up on things that they really have no business at this point. The house is on fire. You need to know how to get out. You don't need to know, you know, what house will replace it or what the insurance company is going to do or how long it will take to rebuild, all those kind of insignificance. You need to know one thing. What is the door? What is the way? We are chosen in Christ from the foundation of the world, but people get thorny and hung up on that or, or who Jesus, all kinds of things. The work that's going on in the heart, the preparatory work, we know the Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit must regenerate a person. They're dead in trespasses and sins. But let me just make it as simple as I can this morning. Do you need a Savior? Not a fire escape, not somebody to bail you out of your latest entanglement, but do you need a Savior? Remember what Thomas said, my Lord and my God. I need somebody to boss me because I've made a mess out of bossing myself. You see, I've, I've run this show and it hadn't got me anywhere. I've, I've, I'm in a car with no wheels on it, you know, all dressed up and nowhere to go and, and it's not too much to show for it. If you need a Savior and you know that, you realize that your sin has condemned you and that you justly need to go to hell. That's the horrible facts. Whatever your other problems are today, that's your biggest problem. Not who's going to be elected president, not about the minimum wage, not about who the, even the Antichrist is going to be. All those kind of things. Your problem and your need is the Savior. And if you'll come to Him, the Bible tells us, what is your, the verse here, verse 12 is so precious. It tells us, as many as will receive him. That's an offer, isn't it? It's a declaration. Come to me. Jesus Christ will later say, come to me. All you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come to me. Come, come. I will not turn you away. And if you desire Jesus Christ, as he is, not as what you want him to be. Some people want a savior they can manage. A genie in a bottle. Do this. Deliver me from this. Make them do this. Take me to heaven when I die. But don't fool with me until then. That's not the Savior. The Scripture presents. That's not salvation. But if you'll receive Him as He is, coming to Him as you are, He will give you the power to become the sons of God. You can't do that. You're not... It's not by flesh, it's not by the will of man. As many as received him, that includes anybody who'll come. To them gave he the power to become the sons of God. And then he reiterates, as even as many as believe on his name. You believe all these things that the scripture says about him. He is the son of God, the eternal son of God, the only savior. He came to die for your sins and that you submit to him as Lord, the boss of your life, 
If you'll do that, he'll do the rest. I never forget dealing with a man one Sunday night. He came forward and said, I need to be saved. And I explained the gospel to him. He said, but I don't have the strength. I can't do it. And I share with him that verse. He gives us the power to become the sons of God. You didn't have enough strength to help yourself to be born the first time, did you? You had nothing to do with it. You were brought into this world. Nobody asked you about it. You didn't help out. You were just born. To as many as received him. Have you received the message of the gospel? Not just here. Churches are filled with people who've got it all up here. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we ask that you reveal yourself as you have so graciously. What more can he say than to you he has said? You created all things so gloriously by many infallible proofs. And then the Savior came to us, revealing to us the glory of the Father. Lord, we cannot look to you as in your earthly life without seeing our sin and crying out as Peter, Lord, I'm a, I'm a sinful man. But you came to die for our sins. There are those, Lord, here today that, that so desperately need you, and I pray that they would turn in faith to you just now. Would you show them these things? Your Spirit has opened their heart, the, the inner understanding that they're condemned and they need a Savior. Lord, help it not just to be things we say, things we sing about or hear about. May this be a transacting time, a time of rebirth, a time where sinners come to you in simple faith. As Thomas said, my Savior and my God, my Lord and my God. Let me just say this morning, if you'll come to him in that way, nothing bringing nothing, not any recommendation except that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. If you'll receive Jesus Christ, He will save you. Oh, tell Him your need. Tell Him you've come to the end of your your way, the end of your struggle. It is not in religion. It's not in church membership. It's not in a million other things. It is in the person of Jesus Christ. Would you bow before Him today? Receive Him. Believe on Him. Believe on Him. Lord, You are the Savior. I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. Save me. Save me. Take Him at His word. He will give you the power to become the Son of God, the child of God. Lord, receive great glory from Your word today and from the sacrifice of our Savior. In Jesus' precious name.